Shark is a podcast featuring active service members discussing thoughts and opinions on various issues surrounding military life, current events, and issues. The statements heard here are the opinions of its members and guests. These do not necessarily reflect the views of Armored Pest and are not endorsed or sponsored in any way. Listener, you are discussion advice. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pit Talk, Pulling Pits and Opinions with your host, Big Isa, uh, otherwise known as Gunnery Sergeant Israel Garcia. I have a very special guest hailing in from Japan, ladies and gentlemen, Japan. He goes by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Freddy Perez, formerly known as Freddy Perez. Uh, He's going to quickly introduce himself, or as long as he wants, right? Um, but again, thank you. Thank you for taking the time coming in from Japan just to be on the podcast. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we got a good topic, ladies and gentlemen, toxic leadership coming up for you, sir. The floor is yours for a quick introduction. Hey. Let us know about, let us know about you. Good morning. Good evening. Uh, as we say in uh, Japan to all your listeners out there. Hey, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Freddie Perez. Um, Enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1997. I was an Army brat. I was born in Heidelberg, Germany. So I've been in the military my entire life. Wow. Um, <clears throat> my dad's a retired staff sergeant. My brother's a retired staff sergeant in the Army. Again, I enlisted in 1997. Uh, made it all the way to staff sergeant before I got commissioned in 2006. Uh, been on multiple deployments. Enlisted an officer to Iraq on uh, the 24th Mew for nine months, the Forgotten Mew. Um, I actually had the pleasure of being on a military transition team as a lieutenant where I was with about 1,400 Iraqis, 13-man team. Um, so much different than the aviation field as my MOS is aviation maintenance officer. So it was it was a nice change of pace for a little bit. Uh, been in for 25 years, currently stationed in Atsugi, Japan as a Marine Liaison Officer, waiting my time as the selected MAUS-12 commander to take over in 2024. Excuse me. There it is. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I've seen that little list on uh, Marines.mil. Congratulations. And that's actually where we met in Iwakuni, Japan. Absolutely. Trying to run it back. I'd love to have (laughs) you back out there. Absolutely. Just by name request. I don't got that kind of power. Oh, stop. You're so humble. So modest. Um, So... We met in Iwakuni, Japan. We did. Uh, atmosphere is a little different compared to other stations and other units, right? 100%. It's a little more homey, you know, because we are so far away from home. Yeah. The relationships are a little different. Can you explain that? Dynamic? Yeah, it's it's much different. I, I like to think about Iwakuni, Japan as kind of the, the old core in my days, you know, enlisting in the 90s, I think before the age of social media, before the age of technology, Marines got together got to build camaraderie outside of the work. And and even back in the 2000s, we could see that technology was taking over the Marines' lives, whether it's just the PlayStations or everything mm. else, and trying to get Marines to come out was just not happening. Well, in Iwakuni, Japan, it's kind of the fishbowl effect where, you know, the only family you got is military out there because yeah. you're halfway across the world and time, time differences when you're awake, all your family's asleep in the States, and when they're asleep, you're, I mean, you're awake and vice versa. But so you're relying on each other. So you build a bond with all of your Marines out there and you have to, you know, there's a small officer corps out there. There's a small staff NCO corps out there. So you, you integrate a lot more, you get to know each other a lot more. And, um, for all the things we're scared of in life, uh, I think 
Iwakuni Japan can show that the relationships can be professional outside of work as well. Nobody was really crossing the line. Everybody understood when it was back and, you know, we got back to work. It was, it was work and really no crossing the line. So, um, and I thought that that made for a much better working atmosphere. And that's why Iwakuni Japan was my number one choice for command because mm. I enjoy the camaraderie aspect of it. And I want to be able to, to, to lead Marines and bring Marines together and show them that, that these relationships need to happen because on a separate note, um, hard conversations need to be happening in the military, right? And, you know, I appreciate you doing this podcast and your listeners because without it, um, the silent majority don't get, don't get hurt, right? Mm. And often people with nothing to lose are the ones that are the most vocal, right? So they're starting all the podcasts and we had this conversation. They're starting YouTube channels because they have nothing to lose. The people with everything to lose um, don't always talk. Interesting. Why? Because it's very unnecessary risk, right? I gain nothing from doing this today. Absolutely nothing. Um, but it's a lot of risk to me, right? Um, I mean, hopefully I can gain like some of your listeners' respect. And if they go, oh my God, Lieutenant Colonel Perez, maybe I want to reach out to him. Can you give me his contact information? Maybe he knows something about becoming an officer because he was prior enlisted or whatever the case may be. And that's what I'm here for. I'm always here for Marines. But, you know, the big picture is most people are afraid to talk because it's just unnecessary risk. Right. That's fair. That's fair. <clears throat> Iwakuni is, I think, a dime piece of the Marine Corps. I think everybody should get stationed there. I think everybody will enjoy. Now that's growing, too. I don't know if you've been out there since you've been out there. You visit it. Yeah. It's growing. Yep. A lot more people. Because yeah, the, 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 the CAG went down there. The, oh, yeah. the CAG went from Matsugi down there. So now um, it's just not Marine-centric now. Now the, with the Navy on board, it's a little different. you know. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's always... No matter where you go in the Marine Corps, there's going to be problems, right? Just the unfortunate piece about there is that it's it has the potential to become an international incident versus um, in the States, right? Right. That makes sense. So the reason why I have you on, sir, is toxic leadership. Mm. It's a big deal. It's always a topic of a discussion everywhere you go. Uh, Marine, Marines want to understand the characteristics, behaviors, mm. you know, some common common trends with toxic leadership, mm. if you can even point that out. Um, let's start with characteristics. Um, do they all share the same characteristics when it comes to toxic leadership or is it different across the board in the Marine Corps in your experience? Yeah. So let me, I forgot to say this in the introduction. I also have a, a master's degree in, in leadership for, mm. your, for your listeners out there from the university of Oklahoma. Yeah. Toxic leadership or leadership in general is very hard to actually define because it's very subjective and it's very objective, right? Mm, and it's always good. in the eye of the beholder, I guess. And, you know, we had a short conversation about, you know, drill instructors and sergeant instructors, right? I mean, to the majority of the world, we could say that that's some kind of toxic leadership. It's very intrusive. And Debatable. Like, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to ask you about that in a second, because <laughs> I think we have a hard time transitioning out of boot camp and the the uh, you know, I'll keep it general for a second. Um, I think that f- for leaders, and we have to be very careful with that term as well. You know, if we label everybody a leader, then it can become complacent and so mm-hmm. on and so forth, right? But for people in leadership positions, and again, everybody in the Marine Corps is a leader-ish, but um, people automatically, they revert to drill instructor type tactics, right? And so let's let's start with the enlisted side first before we, we, we talk about officers. So, you know, when I was a very young Marine, I was I I couldn't stand 
leaders in the fleet that we're acting like drill instructors. This is not the way we're going to accomplish mission. I mean, there's a time and a place for that. But overall, I think as young, young enlisted uh, leaders and young officers, it's always about development, development of young men and women that signed up to join the military and, and, and their development and creating great, you know, the term is soldier citizen. I know it's not Marine citizen, but it's soldier citizen, right? Good soldiers and good citizens of, of, um, of the U.S. And I don't think we understand how to really develop a diverse group of people. And we're one of the most diverse organizations in the world. So it's easy to yell. It's easy to scream. It's easy to do those things and revert to the drill instructor type tactics. And it takes a lot of effort to sit down and try to develop people. And that takes time away from the job. And if we're very mission oriented, which we are in the military, very mission oriented, a lot of that developmental type research, developmental type leadership can go to the wayside because you're PCSing in three, three years, you're moving in four years and like um, making that investment in young people is the first thing that can get uh, put to the back, the back burner, I guess is, is the best thing. Cause I can yell at people, force people to do things, not force people, but make them do things. And then the mission's accomplished and that's all people care about. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to, to show how negative an impact that's having on that individual, I guess is what I'm saying. So the characteristics are just so different and it varies from person to person to person to person. Um, and I know that, and as a leader, it's important to identify which ones, Marine, which Marines need a little more stern talking to, which Marines can I give the disappointed dad look to? Mm-hmm. And man, that disappointed dad look can really, really yeah. like sting somebody hard. Yeah. And I tell you that that is more effective than anything else. Absolutely. And, uh, I think, you know, just kind of as a side piece here, I mean, I've always been just because of my stature, I'm a five foot four man that, you know, at 150 pounds, I'm not intimidating by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> uh, just to paint a picture for the, the Marines that are uh, listening or people that are listening. So I've always had to focus on, you know, winning the hearts, minds and developing Marines versus being the six foot four guy that walks in that has a huge command presence. And everybody's just like, Oh, I want to be like that poster Marine. I am not the poster Marine by any stretch of the imagination. So I've always had to, to work on that craft of how can I get Marines to want to want to work harder, want to come to work and be better every single day. And I also think, that one of the hardest things for me to understand as a young Marine was that not everybody thought like me. I was very motivated. I was very self-motivated. Um, and I would get very frustrated with Marines, not just not understanding they were, they were not like me. I wanted them to be motivated. I, I would yeah, like, I, I didn't understand how they couldn't take as much pride in the work. Didn't, um, work hard for their PFTs, their CFTs as a young man. I just could not understand. And then it, as I started to develop, I started to realize, okay, just not everybody's like me. So I got to change some things up and I can't force everybody to be like me. I got to be able to adjust and adapt um, to each individual's personality, I guess right. is the best way I can say it. Um, but you can become very jaded in the process. And again, I think that's where toxic leadership starts to trickle in, right? Where mm-hmm. you just... Toxic leadership is always down. It's not going up, right? I'm not toxic to my colonels. I'm not toxic. I don't know anybody that's toxic to their, you know, if you're a gunny, you're not toxic to your master sergeants or your first sergeants because there's a mechanism there, right? Good order and discipline, the 
the hierarchy of command and there's a level of respect that you respect the rank or even if you don't respect the person, you still respect the rank. And so it's always down. And I think where it muddles the water is, uh, it's hard to hold that accountable. So in a lot of ways, we just in the military allow that kind of to fester Mm -hmm. and continue to grow. Because it doesn't happen in front of the gunnies. It doesn't happen in front of the first sergeants. It happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And so for young Marines, what's their, what's their mechanism to, to prevent it other than re-enlistment numbers, right? So if your re-enlistment numbers are down on the command, that's, like, that's a sign mm-hmm. that not everybody's staying in the Marine Corps. But for senior leaders, how do we recognize who the toxic leaders are in the, in, in the battle spaces, I guess is the question. So... There will never be one characteristics. I mean, leadership is so diverse and um, so subjective. And That's, fair. That's fair to say. <clears throat> I do have a question, though. Is there some, uh, since you can't pinpoint a characteristic, is it is it because, like you said, since w- if it's the staff and O, we know when to do it. We know when to, uh, not, not per, per se, not be professional, but to question mm or to address a certain attitude or certain characteristic, right? Do you think that because there is no communication between, generally speaking, right, between a senior leader or a senior officer, there's not really much communication towards the the enlisted workforce? Is that is that the reason why they can't pinpoint? Is that the reason why you can't pinpoint? No, I think the reason why is again it's all it's all personality driven. So some some Marines love that structure, love the drill instructor type structure, and I've seen it with Marines that get in trouble. Like there, you know, in Pensacola is a great example. We Pensacola we have fifteen hundred eighteen and nineteen year olds, fifteen hundred all underage. And so if you just say you know ten percent of the Marine Corps, what's ten percent of fifteen hundred, right? If ten percent of the Marine Corps is going to get in trouble on any given any given day. You know that's over a hundred people, and if you there's not a hundred weeks in the months and in, in the year, sorry. Uh, so you're NJPN or you're separating. Unfortunately, you know kids that are using drugs, or Marines that are using drugs, or whatever the case may be. So, um, but I, I you know down there I've seen Marines that say you know everybody in this command is is basically trash except the first sergeant. Why? Because the first sergeant is, is just like a drill instructor, right? Yeah. So he loved that type of leadership, but he and he wanted that type of structure in in his life every single day. Uh, so to him that wasn't not wasn't toxic. What was toxic was maybe maybe the, the the more lenient leadership that we're trying to understand that the mission is different, specifically in aviation, right? Because it's all around safety. And maybe it was too slow paced for him or, you know, um, whatever the case may be, so it's not—it's just not easy to identify. And 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 again, here's here's a question for you. You've been in now for twelve years or thirteen years. What other than than boot camp? I mean, what kind of what kind of investment do we put into our young leaders about leadership development at all in the Marine Corps? <clears throat> Sir, I think I'm the one supposed to be asking questions. <laughs> but to address your question, hmm. As a senior enlisted, quote unquote, I think that developing, you know, most of the hazing, most of the, the issues come from the NCO ranks down, mm. generally speaking, not all, but most. Um, when when senior enlisted or senior officers say kneecap to kneecap, it's mm. it's not them kneecap to kneecap, it's 
me kneecapped to kneecap mm. with them, right? So the development comes from my example. So there's this little, you know, creed per se in San Diego, you know, by example, you inspire them, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the only thing they see, right, we indoctrinate them in boot camp. That's all they know what leadership is based off of that, right? Marine Corps leadership. So if the Marines are doing it right in San Diego and Paris Island, you won't have an issue, generally speaking. That's the development. The development when we when they get to the fleet, right, is me being kneecapped to kneecap with them. I'm not saying I am the best leader, I'm the best person, but I can only give them what 12 years of experience can give them. Sure. Right? It has to be more broad. Right. The commander has to come down, has to have the kneecap to kneecap with Marines because if if they don't if they don't understand the conversation between the commander and his his troops, they're just going to be sitting there routinely coming in at 08, turning wrenches and then leaving at 1630 and not understanding why. So development comes from me. But me is not always the best person to be developing Marines. Mm. I think that, again, it takes a village to raise a person, right. uh, a child. Um, why isn't it that same concept in the Marine Corps? Right. Why, well, don't, you, why don't you get your, And this is not, this is not a uh, attack per se, but hmm. the question is, why don't more commanders get their hands dirty? No, I, I don't disagree with that uh, to a certain extent. But I would say as a commander, I think that a lot of that is um, through staff NCOs being scared, right? Ooh. Being nervous and saying, because my question to you is going to be like, what if you have a young Marine that wants to become an officer? Are you really going to let him go sit down with the commander by himself or herself? Fair. And no. you're going to, so because of the way we're designed, if, I, if I'm your CEO and I say, hey, everybody, I have an absolute open door policy, right? Your Marines would be so intimidated to come talk to me and they wouldn't. And because of you, not because they don't want to. It's because of you. They're afraid of what the repercussions will be that I talk to the CEO. Why? Because what happens is after you talk to the CEO, or even if I'm just the XO or, or the OIC, whatever the case may be, as soon as they're done, staff and CEOs want to know what, what, what went on there. What did you talk about? <laughs> right? So it's this, it's this just, it's this Is culture. that a bad dynamic though? Uh, sure. I mean, I mean, why not? I Isn't mean, what's wrong with, what's wrong with them just having complete access and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, their first line supervisor should be a officer. But if, an officer. But if there's nothing, if there's nothing wrong with that, I mean, what's the problem with them having their, you know, when I when I wanted to become an officer, um, and I talked about my goals of becoming an officer, you would not believe how many enlisted senior enlisted rained down on my parade hard, hmm. to include my sergeant major. He ripped me because. He, I said, hey, I want to just try a different leadership aspect. I've been in, I've been enlisted for nine years, and I want to see leadership from a different perspective, you know, from a from an officer perspective. And he just started going off on me, saying, "You can't find those things enlisted." And I was like, "Man, this is not what I expected. I thought I thought what I was going to get was this is great. You want to develop thing, and especially because we like to we we say on the surface we like to grow our own. That's the best officers are prior enlisted officers. That's what we say. But then I'm like, man, this has been a terrible journey. <laughs> and it's been because of the enlisted, the enlisted uh, senior, my senior enlisted pe- advisors. Yeah. I'm like, there's no mentorship happening on the senior enlisted side. I mean, for, for the most senior. Right. Uh, for my immediate supervisors, my immediate staff NCOs, they were great. 
the ones that knew me, they knew my goals. Phenomenal. Uh, Gunny Herman, uh, sorry, dropped the name, but he's, he's one of my greatest mentors, even now as a lieutenant colonel. Um, I still call my gunny. This is what's important for staff NCOs to understand about leadership. You know, you never know who you're developing in your life from a young lance corporal. Mm -hmm. So even though he retired 10, 15 years ago now, I would still call him up and just say, hey, gunny, what's going on? Lieutenant Colonel Perez here. <laughs> and uh, I just need some advice. And he's always like, you know, you're a Lieutenant Colonel. Now, sir. And I, I'm like, <laughs> I know, but you know what, man? Like I, I built a, you know, we built a, a, a strong bond back in the days and um, I still rely on you. To the extent that even as an executive officer, um, when I was trying to, when I was trying to paint a picture to my staff NCOs of how important staff NCO leadership actually is, he was our guest of honor at our mess night. Mm. Um, not not a sergeant major, not a colonel, you know, not not the standard, but somebody that was important to me as their executive officer in my development as a young marine. So, um, getting off topic a little bit, but oh, no, uh, no, it's, it's all leadership. But but again, I think that because of the command structure, uh, Marines are terrified to come talk to officers, or even if I'm just walking out on the line and I'm talking to Marines. Those Marines are terrified because they know as soon as they're getting done, the staff NCO is going to ask them, what were you guys talking about out there? <laughs> Sir, I think you're, I think you're uh, pointing the finger. <laughs> no, am I wrong? I was a staff NCO you're, too. You're I completely wrong. understand. No, like, no, and even if, it's, even if it's completely good intentions, right. it's great intentions, um, it could be a problem, right? And you never know when, you're, when, you're, when you have these good intentions. And, and I'll use another example. Um, I had a gunny once and... He was a, he's a he's a phenomenal gunnery sergeant and he's a great mentor. And we had a new staff sergeant come into my meeting and I was like, staff sergeant, come on in. I want to start including you now and we're having conversations. At the end of that conversation, the gunner looked at him and said, Hey, you know, what are your five year goals or what are your without without prepping him that hey, and this was this was my first meeting with him, mm. right? And I'm gonna be his reviewing officer. Um and so he was kind of caught off guard by it and really didn't like think about anything. And he's like, ah, uh, just, uh, and he didn't really answer the question. And he's like, okay, you know, the gun, he's like, just, just start thinking about that stuff now. And it was all good intentions, right? Um, and after we got done, you know, I talked to the gun, I said, hey, listen, I, I understand where you're coming from and I know the type of person you are, but you, you, you put him on the spot in front of his RSRO, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he may have, even though it came from good intentions, he may look at that and say, why did you do that to me now? No heads up. Like I could have, now I look like I wasn't prepared for this question or whatever the case may be. And, and I'm a very understanding, um, officer. So, but, but I wanted to, there was a good opportunity for me to mentor him and say, Hey, like that probably wasn't the best time to do that. Right. Cause some officers would look at it and say, Hey, what do you mean? You don't know what your five goal, your goals are. You know what I mean? I mean, just, and, and the gun is, you know, at first he was upset because he really had good intentions about it. And then he sat back and he's like, you know what, sir? You're right. I, I was upset because it was nothing but good. And I said, but now you have to go talk to him. Go see the way he felt. And, and I was like, and this can be a no-lose a no situation for you as a mentor. Mm. And he's like, how? I said, because if you go to him and say, hey, man, I didn't mean to catch you off guard in front of your boss like that. And if he says, no, 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 no problem, then you should say, whoa, whoa, it should be a problem to you. It should be a problem, right? Like, you shouldn't do this to people, you know, if that's your first interaction or give him a heads up. And if he, or if he says, yeah. I did feel like that. Now you can say, you know what? That's why I'm here. My bad. So I was like, you got to put yourself as a leader. You got to humble yourself and then try to put yourself in that other individual's shoes, which is always sometimes very, very hard. That's good. But, um, 
But yeah, I think that that di- the dynamic of the Marine Corps and what we're taught in boot camp of your immediate supervisor always has to know everything, unfortunately, comes at a cost mm-hmm. of, you know, different leaders. If I want to become an officer and you're my gunny, why do you care what I talk to the, the OIC about? You're not an officer. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, that's just reality, right? That's fair, yeah. That that, But you do want to know. You're going to want to know. Generally speaking, I think the Marine wants to know. Yeah, absolutely. In case in case there's something something that was said that was... Exactly. You know, well, I mean, and that, that goes back to the trust, right? Like, I think that for me as an officer, if a young Marine comes in and talks to me, uh, I understand they're young first off, right? And if I talk to them and I, I would go to the gunny or the staff NCO so that to take that away from them, I would say, hey, gunny, come talk to me. I know you're his immediate supervisor. So it's up to us to get ahead of that. Come here for a second. I, I talked to, you know, corporal so-and-so that wants to become an officer, very intelligent, bright individual. Here's what we talked about. Here's what we discussed. But to be honest, that individual is not mature enough yet. And here's some things that I need you to work on mm. that person with. And here's in that short little time that I had with them, here's what I recognized. And please work with them on this. And then now I've given you so much ammunition. Hey, I just talked to the CEO or the OIC. Great interview, you know. Um, But, you know, here's some things that you might want to work on. Like, and, and, you know, that's good experience for the young Marine, right? It's intimidating to go talk to Absolutely. a gunny or a first sergeant. And the more experience you have with that kind of stuff, the more that you're building on, like, the confidence of talking in front of senior level people, right? Right. And you got to have that, man. You got you got to have that. So I think to caveat that, what I always do is I always bring in the, the first leader of the chain of command to be mm-hmm. like, hey, I appreciate you letting the Marine come talk to me first off because I know you're in the, in the business, but here, and here's what's going on. That's a great lesson, by the way. So just keep that in mind. So you don't. That's, do you think that happens a lot? No, I don't actually. Why don't you think the officer empowers a staff and staff supervisor? Or if it does, how come it doesn't happen the way you just described it? Because it's acceptable, right? Everybody accepts the way we lead in the Marine Corps. And okay, the gunny's going to take care of them. The staffs aren't going to take care of them. They're going to find out. And then we go back back about our business or we're mission oriented, right? Um, but for me. I like a lot of buy-in from from my mid, my, my my staff NCOs. A lot of buy-in. That's why you know when we met, we met at a party. We didn't meet in any official capacity, and we just <laughs> yeah. had a great discussion. And we're two passionate individuals, and it wasn't a, it wasn't an easy conversation. I never have easy conversations with people because I'm very passionate about the Marine Corps. Very very passionate about leadership. Very very passionate about the Marine Corps. And what happens is this shift from being a, taking a defensive posture to you know what now we got a level of respect. I can respect him because he's standing his ground or she's standing their ground. And eventually we came to this point where, dang, um, this is good. We need more of this in life, not just like, yeah. this is what we got. So, And I think a lot of people are afraid of that confrontation. And a lot of, I, I don't want to paint a broad brush, but a lot of officers are, I mean, let's take different MOSs. I mean, how many senior level officers write on you fitness reports or your RSs and your ROs? Is that a rhetorical? Or no, that, no, no, no. Like, uh, like mo- I mean, most commands in, are lieutenants, right? Lieutenants are in, captains, right? In my short from sergeant, when I started getting evaluations, one. Exactly. So this is why I tell staff NCOs, it's very critical that you develop young officers as well. Because... They're very intimidated by staff NCOs, and 
the worst thing you can do is put a lieutenant on the defensive, a young officer on the defensive, mm -hmm. right? Where they're feeling like they're being attacked. And none of us like to be attacked. Right. The Marine Corps is an alpha culture, right? And the second you start attacking them and putting, putting anybody against the wall, they're going to fight back, right? right? And when you have some kind of power, albeit maybe it's not a lot, but you have a little bit of power, the second that staff NCO um, starts attacking instead of developing you have a huge problem now, right? Because now it's going to be shut down leadership where they're not going to open up to you. They don't trust you anymore. Mm. And, and, and that's just the way it is. I've been very fortunate. I've had some, even as a, a prior staff sergeant, when I got to the fleet as a lieutenant, gunnies and master sergeants and master guns still intimidated me as a young officer. Absolutely. And I was a prior staff sergeant with nine years in. Yeah. And I needed their, I needed their, their experience and their advice all the time. And I think where we go wrong is our approach to that. We always wait for each other to make the move. I want the lieutenant to tell me he needs advice. <laughs> right. And instead of going, Hey sir, like here's some good ideas. Here's some thoughts. Here's what, you know, the last OSA did. And so just trying to develop a relationship with that officer, but man, it's imperative for staff NCOs to really, sit down with young officers and really develop them, develop them, say, I'm here for you. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the conduit between you and the Marines. So whenever I, like they're your Marines, sir, ma'am, they're your Marines. I'm here to make you better. I'm here to make them better. We're all on one team, one fight. And if you have a problem, a lot of us just don't know there's a problem out there, right? You know, is superiority complex is a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it, that's a big part of, toxic leadership in the Marine Corps. I have a, an unofficial term for it that I won't say on the podcast, but it's superiority complexes where, you know, you've developed this culture where everybody just says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Aye, sir. Aye, sir. <laughs> and, you know, the second you push that envelope a little bit as a senior leader, you can get caught up in that and go, oh, I got away with that. Everybody believed what I said. And then you start going down this hole, mm. inch by inch by inch, you get to a, a deeper, darker, toxic type leadership. And I, and I say this all the time. My biggest fear is leading 700, 800 Marines. And if I come out there tomorrow and I say, hey, everybody, you've been doing such a great job. Um, I'm going to give you basically an unannounced 96, 96 starting right now. If everybody in the audience is like, whoo, happy. I am scared. <laughs> I am terrified. Because even though that's good news, my staff NCO should be like, sir, this, no, you didn't even give us a heads up because my staff NCOs are the planners, right? Right. And if I didn't even give them a heads up that, hey, you know, the Marines have been doing a good job. If I didn't bring them in, I want to give everybody a 96. What are your thoughts? Somebody in that audience better be upset at me, even, even if I give everybody a 96. <laughs> and it better be my staff NCOs that are like knocking on my door. Sir, you can't, you can't, you can do this because you're the CEO. I got you. But, you know, in order to accomplish the mission, which is also your mission, um, you need to talk to, to us as well and say, hey, I'm going to give an unannounced 96. Please keep it to ourselves, but start planning for that now, staff NCOs. And then at that point, when I brought everybody into the mix, now, if I look out, I got buy-in from everybody. Everybody should be feel better about the situation. There's still right. going to be some things out there, but um, if I go out there and make it you know, unannounced, I'm yeah. scared. I'm terrified. That's if, if my staff NCOs are very happy with the 96. It's just <laughs> fact. So you got to be careful with superiority complex because Marines are always going to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm, yes, sir. Good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
and you got to, if nobody's challenging me, I'm, I'm terrified that I created a culture that nobody wants to uh, be in anymore. Hmm. Do, do you think that's, that's a good point. I like that. I, I would appreciate that a lot more from the commander if you would bring us all in, but I don't think that that's not a, that's not a normal thing. I think it happened. What happens generally is the commander will bring his subordinate commanders in and then here's what we do gentlemen and then those subordinate commanders, OICs, slash OIC, excuse me, will then tell the staff NCOs. And then at that point, there is where we start planning. And we're not necessarily the first to hear about it. We're probably the last, besides the junior Marine, the working force. I think, uh, do you think that's a good way as well, besides the one you just listed? Because generally speaking, what I just said, that's the way it happens. Yeah, and I, I do think that there's a there's a level of like okay, I need to bring in my senior staff NCOs first, and and but but the reality is, you know, there doesn't need to be any official official meaning for that, right? I, no, I, no. I'm talking to my sergeant major and my master guns every single day, so they already they're already in my head. They 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 are always. I like to get to a level where they know where I'm thinking before I even say it out loud. Mm. And they always look at me and say, all right, sir, it looks like you're planning for a 96 or uh, I mean, just based <laughs> on the, what you're saying. Right. And they are, so they already know what I'm thinking. Um, and then I'll be like, okay, well let's, everybody's on board. Any, any issues right now? All right, let's bring, let's bring the gunnies in. Let's talk to them and see what, just see what concerns they have. Right. And I can tell you, even there, master guns are sometimes, you know, scared of what the gunnies are going to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and and that's okay. Like it, it's 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 okay. It's not the end of the world. It's okay to get some people in there that are upset about timelines that need to be met. To you know, I want to hear all that stuff. The good, bad, the ugly. It's it's not. It, it doesn't scare me one bit. It opens my eyes, and I appreciate people that Marines, Marine leaders that that at least plant a seed in my head and understand that. Hey, sir, I just want to plant the seed in your head. Something for you to think about when you lay your head down on the pillow tonight. But it's still going to be my decision in the end. Absolutely. But. Like, that's what I expect. Plant a seed, plant a seed, plant a seed. So that, because who, who do my decisions affect the most? It's the 75%, right? The, mm. the, the non-NCOs and the NCOs. Every decision that I make really affects them big time. Yeah. Not the staff NCOs and not the officers, right? We like to complain that it does affect us so much. But the reality is the young Marines are the ones that, that are in the trenches that literally have to live with the decisions that we make as staff NCOs and officers. Right. We are maybe... We're living with the decisions, but not to the same extent that young Marines are. So it's so important to bring everybody on board and get everybody's buy-in. And, you know, toxic leaders, if you don't bring that buy-in, toxic leaders go back to their work centers or wherever, and they start spreading that, right? Hmm. And toxic leadership is going back and not repackaging and selling what I'm saying to the Marines. Toxic leadership is... Well, the staff, the headquarters wants this, right? That's, that's just, that's toxic leadership, right. right? Toxic leadership is not necessarily in your face. It's planting the opposite seeds. Like the good seeds to me are like, hey, sir, some food for thought. But with young impressionable Marines, that's toxic leadership. When mm. you can't, when you cannot go back to your Marines and say, here's why we're doing something, right? And I've told you that. When somebody's asking why am I command, I have a problem. The why is with us as a statement, and that comes from me as a commander. Here's why we're doing something. And is there any questions right now? Nope. Then when they go back to the Marines, it's not why anymore, it's how. Here's how we're going to do it. The CO gave us a mission. He gave us the why. We don't need to say why is he doing this because why is negative in itself all the time. So right. that, to me, is the most toxic thing that 
that staff NCOs and officers can do. If a young lieutenant's going back and, or a young captain's going back and they're already jaded because me as a commander and they're like, hey, we're doing this this week and I know it's dumb because, but it is what it is. The CEO said that. <laughs> what do you think a 19-year-old's thinking right now, right? As that rolls down, 19, 20-year-old's like, what is, this is, what? And you're not motivating those Marines to say, here's why, you know, this is important right now. Um, and then we'll get back on track. It's all good. Mm, so that, good. that is a very, you'll get booted from my command if I find out that's going on for sure. <laughs> Addition by subtraction is what I call it. There's always hungry Marines waiting to take charge and understand that for building a winning culture, that is not a winning habit. Mm, that's good. That's a good example. So it, it's more of examples, not characteristics, huh? Of toxic, toxic leadership. Yeah, I think. Because it's so subjective, mm-hmm. um, it it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways depending on the culture, the type of unit you're in, whether it's an infantry battalion, whether it's an aviation uh, unit. Um, it it all manifests itself in different different ways, you know. And even yeah. in aviation, um, it's so different between intermediate level. And organizational level, you know, the, the unit that has the actual aircraft, they don't have time for games because mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to get aircraft in the air. They're trying to move. They're trying to fly. And there's, I mean, the, those Marines are literally dead on their feet sometimes. You know, you can't do all the things that you can't, you don't have too much time on your hand to play these Marine Corps games <laughs> that we like to play yeah. just to kill time. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And those are the, probably the most destructive toxic habits we have as marines too right yeah just time time and boredom right and then we want to fill that with um with unnecessary things and and you know for leaders i uh, i I believe that creative tension is great finding creative ways to create tension within the organization during that white space is really really good tension in terms of like let's go just make something up that that's not creative at all right (laughs) Right. is very toxic but if you can figure out how to get creative and say you know we're gonna have this much amount of it's like coaching right when you teaching teaching young young kids the basic in coaching right whatever the case may be so they got to get they got to get creative with tension instead of just creating tension just to create tension and then you create animosity and then you create resentment and you create marines ready to get out of the marine corps (laughs) you're creating uh, again creative tension that has a purpose, has a meaning. And so even if the mission itself right now in the moment is the downtime right now, um, you're creating something that, that, that the Marines have value in mm-hmm. and make them want to come to work still every Absolutely. single day and not hate the environment that they're, they're living in. So, yeah, it's not necessarily a specific trait. Um, it's more subjective to, it's good. to the do environment. You, do you think uh, when, in terms of toxic leadership, it's not just one way? Let me explain. So, you know, normally we talk about toxic leadership as from the top down. Do you think, let's just use a young officer, for example. You have a senior enlisted, gunny, mass sergeant, first sergeant, whoever, whoever, you know, in the senior enlisted role. Do you think, yes, he is the most senior rank in the room. But do you think that toxic leadership goes from the bottom up in terms of seniors to officers? Or is it just one way downhill? No, it definitely goes down up. It doesn't take long for me to look at young officers or staff NCOs to realize that, you know, if the, if the bottom line is if 
if I'm in a meeting with my staff and CEOs and officers and they're out of line and they're, they're a little toxic in my meetings, I can't imagine what they're doing behind closed doors with their Marines. Hmm. So it's a quick red flag for me. And um, I will say that we as leaders, our greatest responsibility is telling people. And you'd be surprised that people just don't know because leaders don't want the confrontation to tell somebody that here's where you're lacking. Here's, I mean, how many times have you had that in your career where here's your true shortfalls? And that's part of development, right? Because as you become a gunny, when do you learn to become a gunny? When you're a gunny, <laughs> right? Yeah, we talked about that. So this is what I talk about <laughs> with development, right? When do you, when do you learn to become a, a master sergeant? When you're a master sergeant. And you're learning when you're on the hot seat. And for a lot of, lot of us, that's a little scary, right? Um, or a lot of us have wishful thinking, I'm going to do this when I'm a master sergeant, or I'm going to do this when I'm a captain. Do it now, right? right. Do, do it now. And that's why, like, you know, I got my master's degree in leadership at 40 years old because I go, you know, I owe it to my Marines to continue education on this um, and see how the world has changed in terms of leadership. And, um, and if I'm going to be a CEO, I want to be academically as proficient in this as I am with my experience. But this is just my opinion, but, you know, as we get older and as we age and we're, we start to look back at our career, we, start to, we can start to get a little jaded. Maybe we didn't leave it all on the table and frustration starts to set in. And um, so that, that toxicity between that mid-level officer or staff NCO, or you know what, if, if they've been passed over for promotion, that's a hard pill to swallow. Oh, that's good. If you're passed for promotion and you still have five years left to retire and then you're passed again and you're, it's, it's humbling, it's humiliating, it's terrifying. And now you just don't understand how your emotions are going to change until it happens. You know, as a monitor, I had, I had Marines call me all the time and say, Hey, you know what? I'm up on this promotion board. It doesn't really matter if I make it or not. I mean, I, I'm, I'm good with the results, but as soon as those results would come out, man, the phone calls I got were just like heartbreaking because hmm. they thought they were ready for that moment. But until the Marine Corps tells you no for the first time, now your entire mindset changes. Yeah, And it's a different type of resiliency that you have. You've been on, you've been on cruise control your whole career. You're, you're ahead of the pack. You're, you're the bomb. You're the best. Everything you do. And then as you start getting to that, that more competitive tier group, it's eye-opening. And, you know back in the 90s, staff sergeants could go to 20 years. So you talk about just toxic in nature for young Marines, right? You're like, this 20-year staff sergeant, he got to go. Yeah, He's got yeah, to go. Yeah. He doesn't have motivation anymore. And that's that's more of a, an institutional problem in terms of like, how do we maintain the force and the quals and the people without hurting the readiness of the young Marines? And there's really no true metric on how we can measure how that is affecting young Marines. But yeah. you know it affects you. As a young Marine, you knew who the, who the terminal gunnies were, right? Or the terminal majors are in the, in the officer side. And if we're not cautious, and this isn't for all of them, there's some very good uh, terminal gunnies and very good terminal majors that are motivated as ever. They just we're in a competitive group of, of, of Marines and they, they can live with it and they're, they're total pros about it. Um, but some of them 
weren't ready for that. And that can have, and as a senior officer, we can recognize that yeah. and we, you know, we're, we're trying to get them help, but you know, going down that kind of toxic leadership can really have devastating effects on retention of young Marines, you yeah. know, especially if you got a highly motivated Marine that's like, and they're being led by that, that type of individual that's like, ah, well, I'm just marking time now to hit my retirement. I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hard to manage as, as an, an officer or a staff NCO. So, but going up, it's, it's important to, to identify those individuals fast. And there's a reason we have staff billets in the Marine Corps, right? That are not in front of Marines. And we need great staff, staff Marines, as well as we need Marines that are in front of Marines. And, you know, they don't always mix. Some of my greatest leaders are terrible at staff work, horrible at staff work. (laughs) And, you know, some of my, the the worst leaders, I put them in a staff billet. I'm like, you're never leaving this billet right now because you're just, you're money. And sometimes we got to find that round peg, round hole, right? And it's, you give them an opportunity to lead. And if they're failing that, that doesn't mean their career is over. And that's, this is the problem with, with leadership, right? We don't, we don't understand all the tools that the Marine Corps has definitely outfitted us with to make change, right? Mm. Think about, um, and this is how toxic leader starts, leadership starts to manifest because we're not, we don't use all the tools as leader that we've been given. Mm. We think the only tool we have is what? A fitness report, right? <laughs> That's good. And that's the last that's the last resort because at then there at that moment there's no going back. Mm, it's already good. on your record. That's good. But we have all these tools in place that we just we just don't understand and we're not trained enough to understand as staff NCOs and officers. But that is the burden. You know, the burden of command is understanding the tools that you have so you can lay your head down at night so that you gave every marine the opportunity to succeed. Because the mission one of my favorite quotes in the Marine Corps is, this is a no-fail mission, Major Perez. And I go, okay, can you find me a fail mission in the Marine Corps? Find me some of those. There's none. Mm-hmm. There is no fail missions allowed in the Marine Corps, right? So we, we need to make sure that uh, we're taking care of Marines. Marines are the no-fail mission. And I would say, like, Marines don't get in trouble at work, mm-hmm. hardly ever. 99% of the problems are off-duty. And that's why I say it's important to develop a soldier-citizen early on in the podcast. But it's, it's important to develop them because if you take care of the Marines, then readiness is going to take care of itself. If you love Marines, you love the Marines, they're going to want to come to work. They're not going to want to let you down. And the mission hardly ever fails. We fail the Marines more than we fail the mission. Mm, that's good. Even failed Marines come in to work hard. No Marine joins the Marine Corps to fail. Yeah, I don't believe that. They come in here and then they get they're motivated. Their life has changed. They come to the Marine Corps to change their life, and then as leaders, our most important role is to to develop them. That's good. That is very good. Um, again, Japan, you're going to lead a bunch of Marines and sailors. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you, are you taking? Uh, what what commander will be you be taking next year? Uh, Marine Aviation Logistics Squadron Twelve, twenty twenty four. Oh yeah, it is next year. Yes. Whoops, whoops. Yeah, um, nervous, excited. What, what do you got? Like uh, both, actually. Yeah. You know, I I think nerves are, are great, right? And it's keeping you up at night. It's it's preparing you. It's it's your natural. It's your body telling you like this is important. Mm. You know, 
the fact that after 25 years, when I step on the you know CFT or PFT line, I'm still nervous about it. That means I still care. That's what that means. And if you don't, if your body's not reacting that way, that means you don't care. Uh, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to lead Marines um, and and have an impact on Marines. This is this what I've been looking forward to since I got commissioned. You know, so I'm I'm very excited to have an impact on their life and uh, hopefully change some for the better. I'm excited for you. I appreciate you coming out here to it. Uh, how's your, uh, I know you have a son in the Marine Corps. I do. He's here in Hawaii. He is. That's good. That's good. You, you visit him a lot. I do. And you know, with my son, he's, he's a corporal right now and he's grown up in the Marine Corps and I can, I, you know, I was a, I was a guest of honor at a, at a career course. And, uh, when I gave the speech, you know, most people would on the surface say, Oh, your son grew up in the Marine Corps with you. He saw you he was born in 1999. So I was in the Marine Corps for two years at that point. I think I was a corporal when I had him. So most people would just assume, oh, he saw you become corporal, sergeant, staff sergeant, lieutenant, all the way up to lieutenant colonel, right? Oh, he's the greatest mentor in the world. But the reality is he only knows me as dad. He does, he's never seen me work as a Marine, really. Like he doesn't know how I operate as a Marine. And you know, the most humbling um, moment for me with my son was when he enlisted in the Marine Corps. And this is a story I told at the career course um, to all the staff sergeants. Talk about how important they are to the development of Marines. And it doesn't matter the background that they come from. Don't assume anything. Don't. They're young. They're very young, impressionable people. And when when these young Marines are leaving home, all they got is us, right? And, you know, my son calls me and he's like, I did it, Dad. I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And he looks at me or he tells me on the phone, he's like, I met the biggest, baddest Marine I ever met in my life. And I was like, the biggest, baddest? I mean, I know, I know one, dude. <laughs> and he goes, Staff Sergeant Sword. He's like, my recruiter. And I was like, the biggest, baddest ever? He's like, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, ever, ever? And that just goes to show that, you know, I'm always dad to him. Yeah. Right. And later on in life, I think through his career, he's going to realize maybe some of the things I did and, I wish I would have talked to dad a little bit more, but right now the biggest mentors in life are his, his immediate supervisors. And that's the kind of impact they have on him. Mm-hmm. It really, and it's huge and it cannot be, cannot be overstated how, how important um, his staff NCOs are to me as a father and as a Marine in developing my son as a Marine. Cause I don't know him as a Marine either. Wow. I have no clue how he's, how he's doing every day. I mean, I know that the basics, here's his PFT, here's his CFT, but how, you know, that's, that's completely up to his bosses now. So it's important. It's that's, very important. That's good. Is, is that humbling to you? I appreciate it, actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's why we let our, our kids join the military, that we think they're in good hands, right? And it's up to us to make sure that they are in good hands. And it's a huge responsibility. It's yeah. a huge burden. And, you know, leadership is inconvenient. It's answering the calls late at night. It's going the extra mile to make sure your Marines are taken care of. Leadership is very, very inconvenient, but necessary. Mm, that's good. That's good. Everybody listening, I hope that's soaked that one in. It is inconvenient, I'll tell you that. Especially when you've got a duty phone that goes with you 24-7. Yeah. I mean, but it's not about, it's necessary, right? Yeah, it it's is. necessary. If you want to be a leader, just understand it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to mm-hmm. be family dinners. When you're at your family dinners, they're getting the phone calls. Marine mm-hmm. needs help. Marines, anything, you know. Uh, Marine needs mentorship in that moment. Whatever it is, it doesn't always, it's not always bad. It's, but it's very inconvenient once, once you're there because you're available to your Marines, to your people 24-7. Yeah, that's good. That is good. So, In the back of your mind, 
you know, I, I was reading the other day, Marine, or excuse me, ch- ch- teenagers, excuse me, teenagers that grow up in, in the military are twice as likely to serve, which is good, which is good. Yep. But what, what about everybody else? Do you think because of what they see, do you think because of what we bring to the table, it always it detracts from, you know, how we have a shortfall these last couple of years of recruiting? Do you think what we do and how we put ourselves out as leaders affects the recruiting or is it completely something completely different? Well, I'll, I'll tell two stories. Um, number one is the values of the military, right? And so my father, um, he initially, he served 17 years in the army and they did not allow him to reenlist for his last term to retire. That's jerk. Yeah. That's, that's rough. What a jerk. Downsizing. Right. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you as a nine-year-old at the time, it was transparent to me. I had no idea. He wasn't bitter about it. He just came home. We thought he was done with the military. No clue. So when you talk about, you know, teenagers being more likely to, um, join, he was very grateful with everything that the army gave him and took care of the family. I don't know if people have that kind of capacity in them in 2023. Wow. If you got 17 years in the military now and they say, thank you, have a nice day. I don't know if we have that, those values still in us to say, thank you for the opportunity anymore. It's like, you will never join the military now. That's kind of our attitude nowadays, I believe, for the most part. It's a tough pill to swallow, I think. I think so. But like, um, I always tell my dad, like, uh, you're one of my greatest mentors. And I was like, and even him, he's like, you've, you've done so wonderful. And I go, I know, but it's, it's more about the values that you instilled in me. Mm. And those values were, man, I wanted to make you proud. Like, cause now looking back and I didn't understand it then, but looking back, especially when I was coming on 17 years in the military, I was really reflecting on my dad's career. I was like, wow, I cannot imagine in this moment mm. after 17 years of service, they're like, thank you, no retirement, no benefits, no nothing after serving my country for this long. But I certainly appreciate that value, right? So I do think that, that they're more likely to, to serve. But I think in the modern world today, I think that the values and the traditions are, much, are having an effect on the military. I don't think telling people they're serving their country had the impact that it had in the nineties either. Oh. Not, 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 it just, it, it doesn't have the same oomph that it used to have. The yeah. intrinsic motivators are not the same anymore. We've gone, we've developed a society where everything's extrinsic. Are there bonuses around? Are there duty station preferences? Are there this, that, or the other versus the values that were instilled in the nineties, at least when I came in, which is honor, courage, commitment. You're doing it for your brother and your sister, your left, your right. And you could, hang on to that and you don't want to hurt anybody and you want to work really, really hard. And I think that going back to my, you know, kind of our opening in the podcast where I said, people with nothing to lose are taking to social media and talking about the military. Wow. And they're painting this, this picture of the military where don't join. It's not, you're going to be treated like a child. You're going to be treated this, that, or the other. And that's why I, I appreciate you doing this because at some point we, we need it. We need the people that have been successful need to have a voice too. Yeah. And we need to not walk on eggshells. We need to tell our stories too. We need to say you can be if you want to be whatever you want to be in life. Even in the military, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't stay for 20 years, come do five, enjoy it, have a good time, and then go on to the next chapter of your life. Now you got that life experience behind you. You left home, which is huge. That's, That's intimidating. 
but I think, I think we're losing, we're losing that battle a little bit. Um, and it's because, you know, back when, if, if I want to join the military, I, I literally had to go talk to a recruiter and dating myself here, but internet really wasn't a thing back then, you know, <laughs> really the, there was no internet, there was no cell phone. So I had to go talk and read pamphlets and flyers. Now we're in the information age where it's easy to, even if you have intentions to join the military and you see one bad thing about the military, the algorithm is going to start feeding you that, right? Yeah, and now man. it's going to be bad, 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 bad. Where, where is the good? Where is the good? Because there is a lot of good in the military. Yeah, There's so many opportunities in the military. I took advantage of every single one. I got my bachelor's degree fully paid for. My master's degree, 95% paid for. All these opportunities, all these open doors for me. I mean, it's been an incredible experience. And to do anything for 25 years now in 2023 is is difficult, right? To be that committed to something. Yeah. You, it's got to be intrinsic. If you're doing it for the, all the wrong reasons, for extrinsic motivators, those things are good short term, but they're not going to keep you in it for the long term. So I think we need to figure out how to get back to instilling the values in young Marines again and saying, you know, this is for the greater good. It's for this country and it's for, you know, the, the Marine to your left or your right. And really, get back on back to those intrinsic motivators because of what he said do you think it's gonna have some change moving forward or is it kind of his hey this is my last two raw here's what i honestly think take it or leave it i'm on my way out anyways well i i I wholeheartedly agree um but i think in the piece he he talked called on parents and teachers to reinstill these values in them And, and you know for the most part um you you don't learn right or wrong in the Marine Corps, mm. right? You learn those in your values when you grow up. You know, it, it takes a community to raise a child, and I I don't I believe that the young Marines that are join, joining now have those values, and this has been an ongoing debate since I even when I came in the nineties. Oh wow! You know? um, but I think as I developed over time, I always realized when I was a young Marine, it very you know, I've always been motivated. I was always like, what? Why don't the staff NCOs and the officers understand that 75% of the force is not NCOs and NCOs, one-term Marines and out? Why do we always have to adjust to the old-timers when they're only 25%? Hmm. They don't want to adjust to us. I mean, they have the, lead, the, the leadership, the power, and everything else, but they don't want to adjust to, to the way we operate, right? And I think that that, that that has always been there. I think it's still there now where wow. when you talk about that investment— the staff NCOs and officers are, we don't want to understand them is, is what, I, what I see, so how I see it playing So you're out. saying there is a gap to bridge. There is a, a gap to bridge, and I think it's in the staff NCO and the senior officer route, mm. uh, right? Um, that we need to understand them a little more, understand what gets them to tick. That's our job. That's what leaders do. Leaders do that. You understand, you got to understand who you're working with. You understand your audience to then get them to be motivated, hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, so... Because they're not going to adjust to us. We're, we're, if they adjust to us, they're going to be very frustrated because we're very slow. We're very methodical. These, these young Marines coming in now are technology efficient. They're fast. They require things to be fast. They, patience is, is, is a, you know, it's different now, right? <laughs> yeah. Where us, we're very slow. We're methodical. But we need to figure out like what makes them tick? What makes the young Marines tick? So, as he's talking on, as he's calling on the parents and the teachers and everybody else, same with senior staff NCOs and officers. Like we have to bridge that gap between the parents and the and the institution to say what makes them tick. Because it's easy for us to say, no, 
No, and, and revert back to that, you know, that drone structure type mentality where we're right. just yelling at, at people. But that doesn't work with this generation. It, it, some of them it may, but um, we have to, that's what leadership is. It's adjusting, it's, it's, man, it's, it's moving around, figuring out what motivates me from you. And it's all different. My son gets motivated different than I do in the Marine Corps. Just, I mean, we're, we're from the same, but he, it's still different for him. Yeah. So I think that, that the officers and staff NCOs have some work to do, even if it's uncomfortable for us to try. And again, it goes back to like, we're, we're, sometimes we're scared. Yeah. We're scared to have these, these debates, you know, or scared to have these, these hard conversations. And if you're not having these hard conversations with your Marines, somebody is. Mm. And then they're getting deeper and deeper in, the, in their, their ways. Um, and it can become toxic very, very fast. But if you're not having that conversation, somebody with them is, and it's creating an echo chamber that's, that they're going to go, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep, everybody else thinks the same way. Okay, let's all think the same way. No, nobody's playing devil's advocate. Nobody's mm. challenging the status quo, yeah. which can be very dangerous. Interesting. So, sir, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, anytime. Um, so, again... Did you know we're moving to Washington? Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. I, yeah, I know I'm pretty excited. Marine Corps Security Forces Bangor. That's awesome. Um, on your last visit here, too bad we didn't have the podcast established. I would have would have spoke on it again. I spoke so, some different topics, but do you plan on being in here in Hawaii anytime uh, moving forward? Uh, possibly, but you know the uh, Seattle's an AMC flight away, right? Let's <laughs> <laughs> take Space A from Tokyo from Yokota, uh, and it's pretty. The pictures are pretty. Lake life. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah, I don't yeah. know how you feel about lake life, yeah. but it's nice camping. I'm excited to go. The family's excited to go. I I honestly let uh, my oldest to sell pick based off of pictures, and her 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 view was this is very beautiful. I'm gonna enjoy this. I want to go here. I was like, okay, well, let's see if it happens. And then I kind of said it. And then 24 hours later, well, I got orders. You know what that's called? What's that? Leadership in your house, <laughs> right? Buy-in for your daughter. Right. Right? Because yeah. it's, it's very hard on, 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 on kids, man. Mm-hmm. And you want their buy-in. Yeah. It's the same principles, no matter where you're at in life. That's it's good. It's buy-in. It's, you know, you, you could totally, you have the power in this house to make all the decisions you want, right? Mm. As a Marine, without their buy-in. But it's very important for many, for your family to to have some buy-in, to have those discussions, and and try to get their buy-in to everything. And that's the same thing we should be, same way we should be approaching Marines every single time. Get their buy-in, and when you get their buy-in, you have a stronger force, you have a you have a better product in the end. Here's what I'll say: I know that uh, we're running short out of time, but um, last last little hurrah. Do you? Uh, do you think when you take command 2024, what is the what is the first thing you're going to do uh, to create presence, so to speak? Presence as in, hey, here's what we got. This is what I want to do. You know, besides the, you know, the cookie cutter mm. command uh, mm. philosophy mm. that everybody yep. usually doesn't read, right? Oh, yeah. So, what do you think? What are you thinking to do to change the status quo? Change the little paper that everybody gets. Mm. What are you going to do? Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, I've already thought about this. You know, great recommendation is the score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh. It's, it's a forward by him, but uh, one of my favorite books. And basically, he's talking about the score at the end of the game is irrelevant. It's going to take care of itself. And if I take care of my players you're going to see it on the field, basically. Mm, and I think good. the same thing for Marines, right? If you're taking care of Marines, 
readiness is going to take care of itself, whether it's in the form of, you know, whatever the case may be. But I've, you know, I've, and because I've been a monitor before and I understand manpower and I understand that, you know, been in the Marine Corps for a long time. Marines, Marines are not afraid to step up. Yeah. They're not afraid to step up. If the gunny's gone, that staff sergeant's been waiting for this opportunity for the gunny to be gone, <laughs> to show off, right? Yeah. To show, I've, I've been waiting for this moment right here, sir. Like, let them be gone. And you know what? Let them be gone forever and watch a staff sergeant, t- uh, you know, step up. Let a sergeant step up to be a staff sergeant. There's hungry Marines out there. And so the first thing I'm going to say is we're here to develop a winning culture, right? And if you don't want to be part of this culture, if you don't want to be part of this organization, if you need a change in your life, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. So we talk about open door policy, right? Sometimes people just need a change for whatever it is. And I'm going to have that open door policy. And I'm going to say, if you don't want to be part of this team right now, because you need a personal change in your life, come talk to me. We can talk to headquarters, Marine Corps. We can, you know, whatever the problem is, I want to know first, right? Because yeah. I want everybody on board. And I'm going to say, if you don't want to be part of this organization or if you don't want to be part of this team, nobody's going to hold it against you. It's fine. Just come give me a reason. Let me know if there's something in the organization that I need to change, whatever the case may be. I will do my best to get you out of here. And, and there will be no, no reprisal. There will be no, no repercussions about it. Um, I may not get, be able to get you out of the, to a new PC, a duty station, but I can maybe PCA you somewhere else on the duty station so you get a fresh start. Whatever you need, talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. Addition by subtraction. And if you don't, if you don't <laughs> tell me you want to leave, then everybody's on this train and we're moving in the same direction. It's a winning attitude. So here's your chance to come on board. <laughs> That's it. And I, and I promise, because like I said, Marines are hungry. Yeah. And if the gunny wants to leave, fine. Oh, it's okay. Addition by subtraction. I guarantee they're going to pick up the pace. It happens all the time. We debt Marines out here, there, the other. Watch how quickly they, they they're resilient. Marines are resilient, man. And again, some, some people just need change. I'm not saying that in a bad way. Yeah. So that's number one. And then number two is um, with the TEEP and everything else, I'm going to have a two-year timeline planned out. Here's all I got with you guys. I have 700 and you know, something days, and, and I have it broken down. I don't have it with me. Who's, I, ca- who's I, counting? Yeah, I, I have 700 and something days, and that equates to so many hours. Right. And right now I'm starting off with 96 of them are gone. 96 of them are gone. So now I only have this many hours to develop you Marines. That's it. And every time that you guys outperform me and you guys, your goal is to take time away from me Mm. because you're killing it. You're crushing it every single day, but there'll be a timeline so that Marines are not aimlessly wandering around. They're going to look at this six month plan. So my six month plan is going to be to take on what the previous CEO did there, build upon that and become the Marine Aviation Logistics Squadron of the Year. That's six months out. Wow. A year later from that, we're going to develop some different things. And then, then two years from there, you know. So Marines are going to look at that, and they're going to, they're going to see six-month timeline. Here's where I'm at, and here's the 90-day that, that Lieutenant Colonel Perez talked about. Here's the one year in that he t- they're going to They're going to remember these things in their head. Hmm. And they're not just going to be coming to work every single day because the next thing that's going to happen is this. The next thing that's going to happen is our squadron mess night. And, th- and we're going to reflect on all these positive things that we do. So it's going to be a two-year laid-out process in my end in my in my end brief of exactly what we're going to do for two years, so that Marines can say that is how I'm going to be measured, right there, hmm. every single day. So you're either on the train or you're not, and then here's what we're doing. Period. That's good. That's good. You want to enlist me right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, uh, powerful, dynamic. That's 
I would love to record the speech. I would love it. Love it. You're more than welcome to come the on out. The ceremony, the ceremony. Oh, that would be awesome. You'll have an invite to the change of command. Oh, nice. I, I I might might not make it be transitioning, but uh, well, next year. 2024. I could AMC flight out. Yeah, there. AMC flight so, out. Seattle. Yeah, there. absolutely. That's a good point. It's got a vacation to you, Yeah. We miss it. Um, Get the whole family on there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to tell many. But that was deep. You gave me that uh, dad look. <laughs> I'm not aging you or anything, but uh, you definitely gave me the dad look when you said, "If you're here, it is. If you don't, you're on board." That's right. It's powerful, powerful. It's, it's I don't. I think more. Uh, if we have more of that, oh man, I can't. I can't tell you how many Marines would be more excited. If a spark would be lit. I agree. On their behind, and they would just be all out for the commander. Because right now, we. Don't, I don't even. I've never had in that five minute little spiel you gave me. I was already. Uh, I wanted to go see the career planner and uh, enlist. <laughs> come back, come to Malice. Come on out. Come on <laughs> Absolutely. out. Absolutely. And I mean every word of it. I mean every word of it. I mean every single word of it. That's good. I appreciate, again, I appreciate you coming out from Japan to hit this podcast on toxic leadership. Absolutely. It's a lot of miles, uh, a lot of miles traveled. I uh, wish you well on the way back. I know you're leaving pretty soon. Yep. Um, safe travels back. Say hi to, uh, I know, I don't see your son too often here. but He's when scared I, of you, man. <laughs> yeah, you are a drill. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you let him up on the drill field, man, when um, he was in boot camp. He's, ter- <laughs> he's terrified of you still. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Actually, we, we should hit that little little, little uh, go ahead, go ahead. bit. Um, when he went to, he was at the chow hall Yeah. when I see yep. him. Little short, little just i think he's shorter than you to be honest same height now he's grown he's grown half an inch (laughs) Uh, i remember seeing him and what did you say it you said something about the tiger or the lion or what was it do you remember he's like tell him i said say this to him and he know it comes from me (sighs) i can't even remember no oh oh heart heart of a champion oh that's what it was heart of a champion that's That's what i that's what i taught my kids always have the heart of a champion man that's right and when i told him I started crying. <laughs> I, I held back my tears. I, inside of me, I was just bawling. I was like, I, oh, my goodness. I want to tell him. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because he said, he said you had another, another hat yes. just, that didn't really know him. Right. Just ream him. He He's was, like, I was standing there with spit all over my face, dripping down my face, terrified. <laughs> and then you came over and said, hey. Yeah, I remember he came over <laughs> running like a little, you know, Speedy Gonzalez. And I told him, the other guy... Which I knew. I was like, yeah. hey, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to yeah. play this out so it's more dynamic, more yeah. passionate, and he, he feels it. And so we set him. I set him up. Yeah, of course. I set him course, up for a good, in a good way, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, when I told him, I saw his eyes turn red. Yeah. He's like, he this did. is from my dad. Yep. This is awesome. It, it just became, the experience became that much more for him yeah. the three months. And it was just, now I know why I'm here. Like, this, I have something to prove. Yeah. Or, I have purpose, yeah. which is always a good thing for young, impressionable individuals. Yeah, and, you know, as a parent, I've always taught my kids that love comes in all different types of forms. And it's the same thing for Marine, you know, uh, with Marines. Love comes in soft love. Love, love comes in tough love, man. Mm. Tough love is, is huge. In the Marine Corps, too, right? Sometimes it's got to be tough, man. It, it just has to be. And I've always taught my kids, like, it's always from a place of love. Yeah. I love you kids very, very much. And even though you may think that it's not right and, it's, and I'm mad at you, you need to understand that everything comes from a place of love and mm. we need that kind of leadership in our households in the world in the marine corps everywhere it's got to come from a place of love not from a place of hate and animosity so yeah we can't we got to end it right there that's pretty good place of love ladies and gentlemen toxic leadership this has been pit talk pulling pits 
and opinions with Lieutenant Colonel Freddy Perez. Again, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, we are out. Rah. is a podcast featuring active service members discuss their thoughts and opinions on various issues surrounding military life current events and issues the statements heard here are the opinions of its members and guests these do not necessarily reflect the views of our events and are not endorsed or sponsored in any way listener your expression advice